We are quickly approaching the national holiday, of course, that we all recognize as Independence Day, the 4th of July, and uh, this week will be uh, punctuated by fireworks displays and uh, patriotic, uh, patriotic uh, expressions uh, of appreciation, and rightfully so, for the freedom that we enjoy uh, in this country. The freedom that certainly we should pray fervently that we will continue to uh, enjoy uh, in this country. Today on the Good News Today program, if you uh, watch this morning, you know that uh, Leroy Dedman had a very excellent segment. His segments are always excellent. And today he dealt with the, uh, the freedom that we uh, appreciate in this country. But obviously he related it to uh, a much more important uh, and crucial freedom, and that is the freedom uh, that we have in Christ. Freedom is a precious commodity. And uh, we go back to 9-11, several years back, and, and we understand and appreciate the reminder that that gives us uh, not to take freedom for granted. Freedom from sin, however, is the most precious freedom that we could ever enjoy. You know, there's a deliverance we've talked about at times in the Old Testament that typifies the, the deliverance that we have today in Christ, if we are truly uh, Christians today. The song of Moses on the other side of the deliverance at the Red Sea was sung with tremendous exhilaration and appreciation for the deliverance that had uh, been effected by the God of heaven through his great leader, Moses. And in that 15th uh, chapter, at verse uh, 13, the God of heaven is exalted, his mercy uh, is extolled here. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And that's where we are today. If we're Christians, we are being guided by the strength of God, the power of God, through his word, to that holy habitation, heaven itself. But you know, that second generation under Moses' leadership was reminded of something that the first generation forgot. They forgot about that deliverance, and they lost their gratitude and their love for that deliverance. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Verses 45 through 47, Moses said this to that generation, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you, and they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And so on he goes to enumerate the curses that will come upon them. Why? Because they did not serve the Lord. Yes, but notice further. Because they did not serve the Lord with joy and with gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. They lost sight of their gratitude. They lost their gratitude. They lost 
their love. That should have motivated them to serve. But this is so especially true in the life of the child of God today who has been delivered in the greatest deliverance that has ever been or ever shall be affected for man, and that is the deliverance from the bondage of sin by Christ Jesus our Lord. How did Christ accomplish that deliverance? He did it. He did it through the truth that he made known to the world. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about, and I want you to hear about, the truth that set me free. And the truth that has set free so many who are in this audience this morning. And the passage that is so pertinent to our discussion is a passage that Leroy cited in his excellent segment this morning. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is truth? Remember that was a question that Pilate asked Jesus as Jesus stood before him. When Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate's response, what is truth? And we, you know as well as I do that we live in a time when there are many modern pilots among us. And yet the truth that set me free the truth that can set you free, if it hasn't already, has some distinct characteristics. And that's what I'd like for us to see. We talked in Bible class about a young lady that Matt Brown called our attention to this morning, who has been set free by the truth, but in that process, because her father is a denominational preacher, Abby Jennings is facing is facing some very, very strong hurdles, very, very severe obstacles from her own family. And we certainly do. Those of us who are children of God need to pray fervently for this young 14-year-old girl. She understood that there was only one thing that could set her free from denominationalism, from the religions of men, only one thing that could set her free from from sin altogether, and that was the truth. And when she heard the truth, learned the truth, she had the courage to obey the truth. And we appreciate Matt's interest in trying to help her and strengthen her and do all that he can, and we need to do all that we can. We appreciate Matt for that. And let's pray for this young lady who understood some characteristics of the truth that I want us to be reminded of this morning. First of all, that the truth that set me free is a steadfast truth. It's a steadfast truth. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 reminds us of that, where the writer says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. If the angel's word, the old law, in other words, the law of Moses, if that proves steadfast, 
What about the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty under which we serve the Lord today? Is it steadfast? Indeed it is. We dare not neglect so great a salvation which is sure and steadfast. It was confirmed, the writer says. God also bearing witness, confirming the word by the miracles, the various signs and wonders that prove this to be not the word of men, but the word of God. And there are other passages that point this out. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have two translations here. One, the New King James says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look at the King James translation. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What is Peter saying? The word has been confirmed. The word of prophecy has been confirmed. It is a sure word of prophecy. This, this is a statement that follows his, uh, his uh, mentioning the transfiguration scene where he was privileged to be among those, Peter, James, and John, who saw the Lord transfigured before his very eyes, along with Elijah and along with Moses. One representing the law, one representing the, the prophets. And yet the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And Peter, on the heels of that recollection of that great time where he was privileged to see the Lord transfigured, said, We have had those prophets' words confirmed for us. We have the word of prophecy. And he's saying, I am telling you that I saw something that lets me know that this word is indeed from God. You remember the familiar text in 2 Timothy where the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, said, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he went on in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's talking about the Word of God that is steadfast. And 1 John 2 verse 3, John reminds us, Now by this we know that we know him, how, John, if we keep his commandments, if we keep his commandments. And further, John writes in 1 John 2 and verse 5, three verses later, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. The love of God, God's love for us? No, our love for God is under consideration here. How do we show our love for God? Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, 15, keep my commandments. Here John says, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. His love matures based upon his continual keeping of the word of God. And that word keeps indicates keeps on keeping his word. And by this we know that we are where? In him. How do I know that I am in him? By a better felt than told experience? No. By the keeping of his word. Doesn't that clearly say that this word is steadfast, that it's sure, that it is certain, that it is unchangeable, that truth is not fluid, that truth is absolute, and that as Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth, and the truth 
shall make you free. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And you're well familiar with the standard by which we will be judged in John 12, 48. Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I, what, have spoken, where is that word? Here. Will judge him in the last day. Oh, yes. Passage after passage to prove that the truth that set me free, the truth that sets you free if you're a Christian this morning, is a steadfast truth. And thanks be to God that it is. That it doesn't change with the times. As some have changed it with the times, it cannot be changed. Not in a way at all that will be pleasing to God. We're studying on Sunday morning the Galatian letter, and we are already looking at a section of that letter where Paul said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven should preach into you any gospel other than which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. How much clearer could Paul have made the fact that the truth is steadfast? The truth that set me free is a steadfast truth, but it's also a sanctifying truth. Sanctify them by your truth, Jesus prayed in some of his last hours on the earth. Sanctify them by your truth. And then he added something very important. Your word is truth. That makes it abundantly clear, does it not, that sanctification comes through the word of God. That's how we're sanctified. And what does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctification is the separation. Holiness. Sometimes the word is translated uh, holiness or sanctification at times. It's a separation that does what? It's the kind of separation that produces an influence to draw others away from the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying, in effect, be sanctified, be set apart, be separate, and shine as a separate one who has separated himself or herself from this world, living in it but no longer of it, so that you can become a magnetizing influence to draw others away from this evil age. And sanctification is not new to the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. Look at Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy, sanctified. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. What is the ultimate perfect standard of holiness? God the Father. And we're to emulate him in seeking to be holy as he is holy. 
a sanctifying truth. God's saints are to be holy as God is holy, and that means that God's saints are to share God's abhorrence of sin. We must abhor sin. Paul wrote to Timothy to flee youthful lust. He didn't say flirt with youthful lusts. He said flee youthful lust. Flee from sin. Don't flirt with it. Truth is sanctifying. Truth transforms, doesn't it? And the text we have so often cited from Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You keep on being transformed, and you stop being conformed. Truth does that. Truth transforms. And so the truth that set me free is a steadfast truth. It doesn't change. Thanks be to God that it doesn't. And it's also a sanctifying truth. But in the third place, it's a singular truth. It is a singular truth. Now, that goes against uh, uh, the grain today, doesn't it? In the minds of so many people in the religious world who tell us that truth is not uh, singular. The church is not singular. It is a matter of the church of your choice. Uh, not particularly one, but the one of your choice, etc., etc. Pluralism, pluralism has gone to seed in America today. And whatever makes you feel good will make God feel good, is the idea. Jesus never taught that, never said that. What he did say on this occasion to Thomas was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that say about the creeds and the Korans of this world? It says that they are, as we've already cited from Galatians 1, 8 and 9, they are other gospels. Not others of the same kind, but others of a very different kind. Has this been once for all time delivered? Yes. Listen to Jude. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend, what? Earnestly. For what? The faith. What is that? I hold it in my hand. The system of faith. I wrote to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Now listen to him. Once for all delivered to the saints. The idea of that passage is once for all time, once for all time delivered. It's been delivered, that's it, there's nothing else to deliver, there is not another revelation of Jesus Christ, it is here, it is singular, but it's also strengthening. The truth that set me free is a strengthening truth. The Word of God has always been the source of strength for his people. If you look at the Psalms, and especially Psalm 119, that is a psalm that exalts the word of God 
over and over again. But one that we call attention to, Psalm 119, verse 28, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. There's strength right here. There's tremendous strength here. If we'll tap it, if we will tap that strength, it is here. Because the word of God is still living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Apostle Paul was a great example of one who loved the word of God and understood that it was the source of strength for him. You remember in Ephesians 3, 8 and 9, he expressed his love for the preaching of the riches of Christ. He said, for to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. What a blessing, he said. This grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's talking about the unsearchable riches that can give strength. And then... In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and 11, he said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all. The context indicates the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And then he goes on, Therefore, verse 11, whether it was I or they, the other apostles, so we preach and so you believe. Now, think about that passage for a moment. By the grace of God... I am what I am. Grace, grace, grace. And then he talks about preaching in verse 11. But now put together with that passage, this passage. To the Ephesian elders, you remember, at Miletus, he said, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to what? And to His grace. I commend you to God and to, what does it say? To the word of his grace. Paul doesn't say, I commend you to his grace, which is able to build you up. That doesn't mean that Paul had, had, um, had a lack of appreciation for the grace of God. Look at the verse above. Look at the passages above it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, for I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. But what does Paul say? That grace led him to do. Preach what? The strengthening truth. The steadfast truth. The singular truth. The sanctifying truth. And I commend you, he said to those elders, to God and to what? Not to his grace. He understood God's grace has to be a part of it or we're lost and hopeless. But I commend you to the word of his grace. Now notice, which is able, what is? The word of his grace. God's grace gave us the word. That's what he's saying. And I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up, strengthen you, and to what? Give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Those who contend that we're saved by grace alone should just simply look at these two passages and realize that the man who understood and appreciated grace, and I've said this before more than any other man who ever walked the earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I believe, was the Apostle Paul, and yet it was not grace alone to him that saved him, and he knew it, and it was not grace alone that he advocated, 
Nor was it grace through faith alone, but it was the word of his grace which is able to build us up and to give us what? That inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that leads to our next point. And that is that the truth that set me free is a saving truth. That verse we just cited would tell us that. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That word which is able to do what? Build you up and to what? Strengthen you and to save you. Give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Your word, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the key though, isn't it? It's not your word. It doesn't say your word I have placed on my coffee table that I might not sin against you. It doesn't say your word which I read a chapter from each day. No, I'm all for reading a chapter a day. But obviously, that word has to be hidden in our hearts. We have to meditate upon it. And we have to live it out. We have to obey it. And once we've obeyed it by a belief that leads us to repent of our sins, to confess Jesus as the Christ, and then to be buried with him in baptism, then we are to lay aside all malice, as Peter writes. All malice... All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And do what? Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And the same writer then declares in 1 Peter 1 and verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, the saving or the salvation of your souls. What's the purpose of your faith? The goal of your faith? Where does your faith take you, in other words? What is it designed to do? To salvation. Faith takes you to ultimate salvation. But remember Romans 10, 17? So then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So, receiving the end of your faith, what is the end of your faith, Peter? The salvation of your soul. Well, how does faith come, Peter? Paul says, by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Gets us back to the truth that set me free. The truth that has set so many of you free. The truth that can set you free this very hour. If it hasn't already. It's a steadfast truth. Unchangeable. A sanctifying truth. It sets you apart as nothing else can from this world. It's a singular truth. It has never changed since it was initially delivered. It never will change until the Lord comes again. It will not change then. And that same word that he has delivered and has been recorded for us by inspiration, he reminds us in John 12, 48, as we noted, will judge us in the last day. It's a strengthening truth. And it's a saving truth. And here's a wonderful thought. A wonderful truth about the truth. And that is that the truth that set me free will see me safely home. I need nothing else than the truth. And you need nothing else other than the truth. As it sets you free this morning, it can, if you'll believe it, believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And if you need to come home to your first love because you know that having once been set free by the truth, you have not continued to walk in that truth, and therefore you need to come home to it and to him who delivered it, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. If that's your need, we plead with you to come as we stand to sing to encourage you.